Bankless Nation, is there a war on crypto? That is the question that we pose today. We have House Majority Whip Congressman Tom Emmer to weigh in on that question. A few things to look out for in this episode. Number one, we ask Representative Emmer if the U.S. has declared a war on crypto. You'll see how he responds. Number two, we talk about Operation Chokepoint 2.0. Is this an effort to choke out crypto in the United States? Number three, we talk about this issue. Is it bipartisan? Is it Democratic? Is it Republican? Who is supporting crypto in Congress? Number four, we talk about the ability for the United States legislator to pass common sense legislation. Can we actually do that as a country? And number five, we talk about how crypto issues factor into the 2024 elections and what we as bankless listeners can do to support those efforts. Unfortunately, David was unable to make this conversation. He had some internet issues, so it's just myself and the representative today. But a few disclaimers before we get into this episode, because I can hear some of you saying, oh no, bankless has just got political. They're having a politician on the podcast. What's going on? I, I want to say this at the outset. Bankless is not a political podcast that divides on red-blue party lines. We have no political affinity to any party in the United States or any other country. What we do care about is the values of crypto, values like decentralization, autonomy, and power to the people that underlie this revolutionary technology. And so to the extent that those values are political, we get political, but we don't divide on party lines. We'll continue to give voice to these crypto native values no matter what political party they come from. So that means we're open to conversations spanning the aisle from Senator Cynthia Lummis and Ted Cruz, they're welcome here. So is AOC and Elizabeth Warren. We wanna have the conversation with everyone. For my own part, I see value for both the right and the left in crypto and supporting both progressive and conservative values. This conversation is important to have. Guys, we're gonna get right into the episode with Representative Emmer. But before we do, we wanna thank the sponsors that made this possible, including Kraken, which is our number one recommended exchange for 2023. Go check them out. Kraken has been a leader in the crypto industry for the last 12 years. Dedicated to accelerating the global adoption of crypto, Kraken puts an emphasis on security, transparency, and client support, which is why over 9 million clients have come to love Kraken's products. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, the Kraken UX is simple, intuitive, and frictionless, making the Kraken app a great place for all to get involved and learn about crypto. For those with experience, the redesigned Kraken Pro app and web experience is completely customizable to your trading needs integrating key trading features into one seamless interface. Kraken has a 24-7, 365 client support team that is globally recognized. Kraken support is available wherever, whenever you need them, by phone, chat, or email. And for all of you NFTers out there, the brand new Kraken NFT beta platform gives you the best NFT trading experience possible. Rarity rankings, no gas fees, and the ability to buy an NFT straight with cash. Does your crypto exchange prioritize its customers the way that Kraken does? And if not, sign up with Kraken at kraken.com slash bankless. Arbitrum One is pioneering the world of secure Ethereum scalability and is continuing to accelerate the Web3 landscape. Hundreds of projects have already deployed on Arbitrum One, producing flourishing DeFi and NFT ecosystems. With the recent addition of Arbitrum Nova, gaming and social dApps like Reddit are also now calling Arbitrum home. Both Arbitrum One and Nova leverage the security and decentralization of Ethereum and provide a builder experience that's intuitive, familiar, 
and fully EVM compatible. On Arbitrum, both builders and users will experience faster transaction speeds with significantly lower gas fees. With Arbitrum's recent migration to Arbitrum Nitro, it's also now 10 times faster than before. Visit Arbitrum.io where you can join the community, dive into the developer docs, bridge your assets, and start building your first dApp. With Arbitrum, experience Web3 development the way it was meant to be. Secure, fast, cheap, and friction-free. Learning about crypto is hard. Until now. Introducing MetaMask Learn, an open educational platform about crypto, Web3, self-custody, wallet management, and all the other topics needed to onboard people into this crazy world of crypto. MetaMask Learn is an interactive platform with each lesson offering a simulation for the task at hand, giving you actual practical experience for navigating Web3. The purpose of MetaMask Learn is to teach people the basics of self-custody and wallet security in a safe environment. And while MetaMask Learn always takes the time to define Web3 specific vocabulary, it is still a jargon-free experience for the crypto-curious user. Friendly, not scary. MetaMask Learn is available in 10 languages with more to be added soon, and it's meant to cater to a global Web3 audience. So, are you tired of having to explain crypto concepts to your friends? Go to learn.metamask.io and add MetaMask Learn to your guides to get onboarded into the world of Web3. Bankless Nation, we are excited about our next guest. Representative Tom Emmer is a U.S. representative in Minnesota and is serving as the House Majority Whip as of this year. That makes him one of the highest ranking members of the U.S. House of Representatives. He's also been an outspoken advocate of crypto. He's rung the alarm bell several times on what seems to be maybe a politically driven debanking of crypto in the United States of America. Representative Emmer, welcome back to Bankless. It's great to have you on again. Great to be with you, Ryan. Uh, so we don't, I, I think some Bankless listeners might not know what the function of a whip actually is, <laughs> Representative Emmer. Like not to take us back to civics basics, but, but maybe start with that. So what do you do as a whip? What does the role actually entail? So the speaker uh, is in charge of everything uh, in the House, and in fact, in charge of the Capitol grounds. I mean, literally everything. The majority leader is the one that builds a calendar, right? Uh, that uh, person works with committee chairs. Not only does uh, the majority leader's office build a uh, legislative calendar for the year, but then they actually build a calendar of what is ready to come to the floor. But the beauty of it is we're number three, uh, the whip, or, uh, well, it is the whip, the majority whip, and our job, the beauty of it right now is uh, we only have 222 members. It takes 218 to pass things. So literally, guys, everything has to come through the whip's office. When the uh, majority leader is building out a calendar, they need to come to us to make sure that they've got the, uh, the votes that are necessary, that all the problems have been solved, if there are any, or questions, and that uh, they can get it across the floor. And that's our job, to make sure that these things, once they hit the floor, they actually get the votes they need to come off the floor. And that we've had now close to 160 votes since the uh, since this Congress started. Uh, and I'm sure that it won't be unblemished all the way through, but we haven't lost a vote yet. So Representative Emmer, it sounds like the, the whip is uh, someone has more responsibility in terms of you know setting the agenda for Congress. I'm, I'm curious, how high up is crypto on the agenda in, in you know, March of 2023? It is uh, at the top of mind, uh, as you and uh, some of your uh, uh, audience probably know, if you paid attention to what I've been doing. But it's also uh, one of Patrick McHenry's uh, top uh, issues. So it makes it easier for me because there are members of the committee. I, uh, French Hill from Arkansas has been made uh, subcommittee chair of the new Digital Assets Subcommittee. And by the way, 
that should tell you what kind of a priority it is because for the first time ever, uh, the Financial Services Committee created an actual digital assets subcommittee to start addressing with these issues. And frankly, from my perspective, it's long overdue, but you, there are other priorities. Uh, so people out there understand this is about making sure the economy uh, is once again growing the way it should, which by the way, I believe crypto is a big part of. Uh, it's about uh, safety and security, both here at home, uh, you know, domestic crime has to be brought under control. And then around the globe, you've got a lot of uh, a lot of flare ups going on uh, uh, in the, uh, the the world today uh, that can present uh, global issues. Uh, and then obviously uh, we've got some issues with our uh, both borders, but primarily our southern border and the fentanyl crisis. Uh, but crypto, when it comes to the, the economic uh, issues, I believe it's towards the top of the list. But again, that's that's me. So, Congressman Emmer, as, as we get into the, the, the material and the subjects today, I got to start with this question, because I think a lot of American citizens and uh, companies located in the United States are feeling like the United States government is disconnected from our community and from our industry. And the question has been raised, is there a war on crypto in the United States? I, I wouldn't have previously you know, uh, said those words, but it feels like this year crypto has increasingly been under attack in various ways that I'm sure we'll explore. Does the U.S. hate crypto, Representative Emmer? What's going on here? Can you help us make sense of this? Well, I, I mean, that's a that's a much broader question. If you're talking about U.S. citizens who believe in the right to self-determine, who believe in liberty and, uh, you know, the uh, fact that their government's supposed to work for them, we love it. Right. We, we love uh, Web3, the ownership economy, the idea that we can do business directly with one another and we don't have to have intermediaries. Uh, not that we'll never need them, but uh, we get to choose them. Right. Uh, when you talk about the U.S., uh, Ryan, what I would define that as is the uh, centralized bankers and government. Uh, those are the ones. Uh, let's just go back to 2008 when they messed up this economy the last time. Uh, because their uh, their poor monetary policy led us to a place where uh, a lot of people suffered, a lot of people were hurt. That's when you have the uh, Satoshi white paper that shows up. That's when uh, the Bitcoin experience begins. And I believe a lot of these uh, central bankers, both here uh, and around the globe, but let's just focus on the U.S., some of our biggest central bankers, not just the Fed, but uh, some in the, uh, in the uh, private sector, were looking at people that were doing this Bitcoin thing and I guarantee you, Ryan, they were going, oh, look at those kids. Isn't that cute? Playing with their virtual money. You know, it's it's like a, a video game that they're doing. And then it goes on for about two, three, four years. They go, uh-oh, this thing's actually picking up steam. There might be something here. And so then they tried to kill it, in my opinion. Their, their goal was to try and stop it. They couldn't. So guess what? The last few years, they've been trying to swallow it up. This is the discussion about CBDCs. This is now the discussion about Fed now. I mean, their whole thing was, let's get you people and your audience, let's get you on board with central banking in the digital age, which is nothing more than a surveillance tool for government. But guess what? There are too many of us that say no. There are too many of us that are going to stand in the way. So I look at what's happened in just the past few weeks. Uh, there definitely a lot of people talk about, is there a choke point 2.0 uh, trying to debank uh, crypto? Well, you got to tell me, uh, it, it, this is this a coincidence that we lost uh, Silvergate, uh, Silicon Valley and Signature 
uh, all within a matter of days, uh, a couple of weeks. Uh, I don't think there is any coincidence, gentlemen. Uh, the closure of crypto and tech-friendly banks like Silvergate Signature and uh, Silicon Valley have left the crypto industry largely unbanked. And I, I think the attitude of our government regulators right now, I think the attitude of our cabinet members, whether it's the uh, Treasury, whether it's the Fed, uh, whether it's the uh, uh, the SEC, uh, CFTC, uh, is all taking a negative aspect or view of, of what we're trying to do. Uh, and as a result, I think they're risking uh, sending the innovation we've been trying to protect right here in this country, right across the uh, the ocean. So, Representative Emmer, you're, paint, you're painting a picture here and something that we've talked about on Bankless a number of times, this idea of an Operation Choke Point 2.0. But you're also painting this picture of not just a choking off of crypto, but actually a co-opting of crypto as well, or maybe uh, the digital aspects of crypto, not the ethos aspects of freedom and autonomy and self-sovereignty. I want to ask you about this uh, Operation Choke Point, though, a little bit more. So on March 15th, you tweeted out that you sent a letter to the FDIC Chairman Groomberg regarding reports that the FDIC is weaponizing recent instability in the banking sector to purge legal crypto activity from the United States. And, and we've got the letter, we'll include it in, uh, in a link in the show notes. W what are you concerned about here? So is this, is this about the, the choking off of a, maybe a Silvergate, maybe a signature bank? W what are you writing to the head of the FDIC about this? What are your stated concerns? Well, we've seen statements from individuals across the industry, including former House Financial Services Chair, Barney Frank, uh, the co-author, by the way, of the Dodd-Frank Act, uh, highlighting the targeted nature of the regulatory efforts of this administration to single out financial institutions, and I believe to send a message to get people to move away from crypto. I mean, there are double standards when it comes to uh, whether financial uh, uh, institutions can uh, custody crypto, not using it to leverage against it or anything, but just to custody. And there's different messages coming out of the Fed, coming out of the SEC, the SEC has been very aggressive. And by the way, uh, two sources, you might have seen this because I, uh, I mentioned it in an interview last week, two sources told Reuters that, quote, any buyer of signature must agree to give up all the crypto business in the bank. Think about that for a second, Ryan. I, if, if that's not government putting its heavy hand on the scale and, and doing it in a way that uh, uh, to the detriment of crypto or, or people that are... Uh, I, you know, interested in crypto. I don't know what is. And then you talked about uh, Marty uh, uh, Greenberg, Chair uh, Greenberg. Uh, the FDIC press release uh, said that signatures, crypto depositors, would not become deposits of the bank that purchases. Right. So we know that uh, right after I went on this uh, news program and talked about Reuters uh, outing the FDIC, we know they went back and denied that that was said. But then the uh, chair comes out and says, look, uh, anybody who buys this bank, uh, crypto deposits aren't going to be part of your purchase. Uh, and then it can't be coincidence that the Fed is launching its own payment network that's literally designed to settle payments in seconds the same year that financial regulators have weaponized their authority to quash the major banks that service the crypto industry. We don't need the federal government competing with the private sector. 
That's exactly what they're doing. And in this case, they're trying to corner the market when it comes to uh, uh, banking and financial services to uh, cut out, uh, again, freedom-loving people who want to self-determine and make their own decisions without having to pay the VIG to the man who, in this case, would be your central government and the central bank's uh, banking system that it's created. So, Tom, if, in fact, this is uh, happening in, in, in crypto, if there is a coordinated effort to choke crypto banking uh, in the United States, what do we do about that? Is, is this illegal? How do we rein this in? I think a lot of people listening uh, to Bankless just kind of throw up their hands and they, they just don't know what to do about it. What, like, I mean, I, I know many companies are talking about startups, entrepreneurs are talking about actually relocating out of the United States. It is, it is no longer a, uh, you know, a, it doesn't feel like a country that actually wants to have crypto companies and crypto innovation. So they're talking about relocating. For the average everyday citizen that lives in the US, like we don't even know what to do about this. We don't even know what the the mechanisms to push back. Is it the court system? Can Congress do something? How do we get transparency for regulators that might be stepping outside of the the bounds here? That's a great question, Ryan. So first off, uh, remember elections have consequences, and I'm not here to say that the Trump administration uh, was great when it came to crypto, but it was markedly better, and they weren't even favorable, right? Some of their uh, cabinet members. This administration has an all-out assault, and I would argue it's because the modern monetary theorists, you know, yesterday's Keynesians, who now occupy the White House and are Elizabeth Warren uh, acolytes, uh, they, they have this theory with modern monetary theory that a country that controls its own fiat currency can print and spend as much money as it wants, which is frankly false. I mean, you can't defy the laws of gravity. You can't defy the laws of common sense. Uh, you can't uh, make that work where you print and spend uh, ad nauseum and expect that it's not going to come back to haunt you. But that's their theory. And guess what flies directly in the face of their theory? Uh, crypto. People that have decentralized financial networks that are not beholden to the federal government that understand what good monetary policy is and don't want to continue to participate in a system that frankly is is flawed and is corrupt right now. They're, they that's the issue. So two things. One, good news is we still do have elections in this country. The next one's coming up in 2024. I would tell everybody who's on this podcast, it's not about being a Republican, a Democrat or something else. It's about being an American. It's about being a citizen who's interested. Crypto is a nonpartisan thing. It's not about your political leanings. But it is about right and wrong. And what these uh, central bankers and what our central government is doing right now and these uh, little militant lieutenants uh, under uh, 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 the senator from Massachusetts, who I'm not going to keep naming, uh, they are the, the army that you're fighting. And you do it first at the ballot box. You do it with awareness. You share this information with anybody and everybody that is favorable to the perspective that you're looking at and that I look at. And then, yes, if you are a going concern, and I, I would argue uh, that it's not just startups and entrepreneurs, I would argue that there are existing uh, operations uh, uh, that uh, deal in the digi digital asset space, crypto uh, at all, uh, that are looking to move. They're looking to move to places where they will be treated fairly, where they know the, uh, the uh, rules of the road. And I'm not saying this is where they're going to go, but the risk that the United States has, and remember, uh, the uh, folks in Great Britain, they thought they were never going to be uh, uh, 
you know, sunsetted. And then they were. Uh, after World War II, the United States financial markets became the envy of the world. Well, guess what? This is the next iteration. Crypto, digital assets is the next iteration of the greatest financial markets ever. And you can either choose to have them in this country or they're going to leave. And maybe, maybe London's got a chance to take that back. I, I, lastly, if you are a going concern, uh, the courts are an option. I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, Gary Gensler, who I believe is one of the uh, uh, best examples of a bad faith regulator, this guy's been choosing to blindly spray the crypto community with enforcement actions, yet he keeps missing the true bad actors. He goes after all the good people in the space and the bad actors like uh, FTX come up uh, after the fact and it turns out that he might have been uh, trying to work a sweetheart deal with them. Uh, but look, uh, there are some lawsuits that have been started and it doesn't look like things are shaping up in the courts to be, uh, to be going too well for uh, Mr. Gensler. SEC lawyers, you might know, were stumbling over questions made by judges in both the Grayscale GBTC case and the Voyager Binance U.S. Uh, deal. Uh, it looks like the future of crypto could be decided. Uh, future of crypto in our country could be decided by our judicial system. That uh, that always takes um, you know more time, and I want to ask you in a little bit, um, Representative Emmer, if if there's some legislation coming down the pike that can, can save us. But let, let's kind of camp on this because you know Bankless, of course, is a, is a nonpartisan uh, podcast. And I, I would say previously, crypto, crypto has been sort of a, a nonpartisan issue or maybe a bipartisan issue, but it seems to have more recently almost splintered. And I want to say, this is just my observation, on the back of 2022 especially, it does seem like Republicans have come out much stronger in favor of a crypto-friendly uh, policy. We, meanwhile, we have like, you know, uh, Liz Warren, uh, the Biden administration also published an economic report. I read that economic report. 90 pages of it were basically uh, FUD is an industry term we use uh, <laughs> a term to of describe. Art. A term of art. Right, exactly. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt uh, about crypto. And um, very little, no mention of the innovation and the promise and saying the things that you were just saying about the future of uh, the financial system, the, the banking system, sort of an internet-centric approach, and possibly a succeeder to the United States from a financial epicenter perspective if the U.S. doesn't get aligned with where this technology is going. Um, has there been some increased partisanship? It, it, from what you're saying, which is incredible to hear, uh, you guys are coming out very, very strongly. And of course, you are a re Republican. How does this divide among, um, you know, you know, red and blue sort of divides? Has there been increasingly divide? Because I've always seen crypto to have wins for both sides of the aisle and certainly for all Americans. What are you seeing? Well, let's uh, before I hit the uh, what is a nonpartisan issue in my mind and your, your good question. Uh, let's go back to the economic report for a second, because. If you read that economic report, you get to the very end and you got to be asking yourself, you know, I was born at night, but I wasn't born last night. What, what, what is wrong with this report? You go through the whole thing saying uh, crypto, saying this whole uh, industry is a fraud, is a scam. It offers no value. It's all play money, et cetera. And then you get to the very end and say the future of our finance in this country is going to be fed now in the CBDC. Right. Well, wait a second. <laughs> You just told me that none of this makes sense, but your idea, your government idea, which is a surveillance tool when it comes to the CBDC, uh, is uh, is the answer. By the way, in FedNow, 
Oh, yippee. I, I think uh, FedNow will probably work about as well as the post office, all right? Uh, you will not have real-time uh, clearing, and if you do, you got to worry about everybody who's watching that transaction and scraping data out of that transaction on behalf of your government that's supposed to be working for you. Uh, on the partisan issue, I, I don't think we've lost the uh, the high ground on a nonpartisan uh, approach to crypto. I think what you're seeing is you're seeing some serious uh, uh, realignment, uh, uh, a political party uh, uh, torture, uh, wrenching, going back and forth. You literally have a Democrat party, and this isn't to offend any Democrats who are on this, that has uh, morphed into uh, three or four different uh, uh, perspectives, right? All the way from Marxism and socialism back to uh, the typical moderate Democrat who uh, wants to argue about the size and scope of government versus an individual's right to self-determine and where the line is, it goes. The Republican Party has always had its issues with uh, party purity, right? Constitutional purity and I'm better than you and I'm more in, and then the religious right that factors into it. So we have all these, uh, if you will, melting pot of these different political persuasions. But the problem we have is the country's only two teams, right? For politic, political purposes, it's Democrats and it's Republicans. And right now, there's a Democrat in the White House that uh, his, his, the people that wear his jersey, and I know some people who are on this uh, podcast listening are going to go, when are people going to rise above that? I get it. I get it. But you've got some good Democrats. I'm going to tell you right now, and by the way, their political persuasion probably leans even farther left than uh, I would care to uh, acknowledge. But it's not about their political leanings, just like it's not about Tom Emmer's political leanings. This is an area, finance, that literally defines our freedom. It has up till now. If you look at the first 240 some years of this country, it's about the finance, but really about the last uh, 70, 85 years of experience it's about the ability for Americans to be mobile, right? To climb the uh, the ladder of prosperity, by the way, to fall off the top of that mountain and climb back up. But it's been all done with uh, paper currency and gold, et cetera. Well, we've just got the new version. This is digital gold, right? This is, a, this is the same concepts, it's for value. People are going to uh, assign it value and, and use it as a medium of exchange. And this new area is all about people being able to get capital, to expend capital, to grow new ideas, to improve their lifestyle. I got news for you. That's not a Republican or Democrat thing. That's an American thing. And whether it's Richie Torres, whether it's uh, Darren Soto, who I do a bunch of different bills with, uh, whether it's Ro Khanna, right? I mean, you've got Democrats on the other side that are pro-digital. I think you got to be a little patient with them, and I'm not here to uh, to defend them, but I think you got to be a little uh, patient with them because maybe they are measuring their words because they happen to be under a Democrat administration that they disagree with. Uh, but just because you don't see them, you know, being a rabble rouser and attacking and throwing bombs at their own administration doesn't mean these people are literally working hard under the uh, radar trying to move the people in the White House to do the right thing. Quite frankly, this is what frustrates me with uh, Elizabeth Warren. 
Uh, Elizabeth Warren, if she truly believed in the American value of self-determination, if she truly believed in an individual's right to make their own decisions, which she claims, she would champion crypto. She would champion digital assets. Instead, it's very clear to me that she's nothing more than a big central bank uh, uh, power hungry uh, leader who sees her power essentially being diluted and taken away by this decentralization of our financial system and our financial transactions, Ryan. She's desperately, along with the establishment, the institution, she is desperately clinging to hold on to that central banking thing because that's where their power is. Uniswap is the largest on-chain marketplace for self-custody digital assets. Uniswap is, of course, a decentralized exchange, but you know this because you've been listening to Bankless. But did you know that the Uniswap web app has a shiny new fiat on-ramp? Now you could go directly from fiat in your bank to tokens in DeFi inside of Uniswap. Not only that, but Polygon, Arbitrum, and Optimism Layer 2s are supported right out of the gate. But that's just DeFi. Uniswap is also an NFT aggregator, letting you find more listings for the best prices across the NFT world. With Uniswap, you can sweep floors on multiple NFTs, and Uniswap's universal router will optimize your gas fees for you. Uniswap is making it as easy as possible to go from bank account to bankless assets across Ethereum, and we couldn't be more thankful for having them as a sponsor. So go to app.uniswap.org today to buy, sell, or swap tokens and NFTs. How many total airdrops have you gotten? This last bull market had a ton of them. Did you get them all? Maybe you missed one. So here's what you should do. Go to Earnify and plug in your Ethereum wallet and Earnify will tell you if you have any unclaimed airdrops that you can get. And it also does POAPs and mintable NFTs. Any kind of money that your wallet can claim, Earnify will tell you about it. And you should probably do it now because some airdrops expire. And if you sign up for Earnify, they'll email you anytime one of your wallets has a new airdrop for it to make sure that you never lose an airdrop ever again. You can also upgrade to Earnify Premium to unlock access to airdrops that are beyond the basics and are able to set reminders for more wallets. And for just under $21 a month, it probably pays for itself with just one airdrop. So plug in your wallets at Earnify and see what you get. That's E-A-R-N-I dot F-I. And make sure you never lose another airdrop. The Phantom Wallet is coming to Ethereum. The number one wallet on Solana is bringing its millions of users and beloved UX to Ethereum and Polygon. If you haven't used Phantom before, you've been missing out. Phantom was one of the first wallets to pioneer Solana staking inside the wallet and will be offering similar staking features for Ethereum and Polygon. But that's just staking. Phantom is also the best home for your NFTs. Phantom has a complete set of features to optimize your NFT experience. Pin your favorites, hide your uglies, burn the spam, and also manage your NFT sale listings from inside the wallet. Phantom is of course a multi-chain wallet, but it makes chain management easy, displaying your transactions in a human readable format with automatic warnings for malicious transactions or phishing websites. Phantom has already saved over 20,000 users from getting scammed or hacked. So get on the Phantom waitlist and be one of the first to access the multi-chain beta. There's a link in the show notes, or you can go to phantom.app slash waitlist to get access in late February. I know Representative Emmer that, um, you know, uh, some of the rhetoric coming from the side being sort of you know, pro-regulation, anti-big um, anti bank. You know, what's interesting is there are a lot of wins for crypto in that side of the argument. I mean, auditable, transparent code that is on the internet 
you 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 have the transparency offered by the SEC and CFTC that's baked into the code, and that is all available on chain. And you talk about disrupting the banks and and giving all Americans access. That's what this technology really does. Yeah. So it does seem like there is an acid test going on. This this is sort of what we said. Every country is going to have an acid test to see whether they really believe in the values that that they say and they purport to believe in. But let me ask you this. I think most listeners that are listening to this episode, what what you talked about is exactly what they want from our legislators is we just want a common sense. Who cares about a red team, blue team? We just want a common sense approach to this innovation. Why can't we treat it like the internet in the 1990s, where both teams kind of rallied around this and said, this is a technology that is going to change the world and can be good for the United States. We had, we had the birth of uh, massive economic prosperity in the United States as a result of that technology. Are we are we close to any legislation, any common sense legislation coming out of Congress on any issue, whether it's stable coins, whether it's whether it's something else? What do how do we get there? Well, uh, interesting. And by the way, as you're talking, Ryan, I'm thinking about the fact that, yes, we had the Internet. Uh, yes, it exploded during what uh, some economists have referred to the uh, economic boom period the largest uh, uh, growth of, of uh, economic growth the world has ever experienced. It was like 25 years from the end of the 80s until the turn of the century. Bottom, bottom line is we've got the same opportunity here. The difference, we got $32 trillion in debt in this country. We've got to figure out how to balance our budget. And then guess what? You want crypto and everything associated with it to grow here, to innovate and grow here because that will grow the economic pie for everyone. Republicans, Democrats, that's the only way, I'm gonna tell you right now, my belief is that's the only way that you can deal with the $32 trillion in debt. The, the only other way would be to declare the country bankrupt and go into reorganization and tell people that they're gonna take haircuts for debts and we're gonna pay this back, and we're gonna prioritize that. You, this is a company, this, the United States of America, that has uh, not been managed well. Uh, crypto is a big part of the answer, I believe, in how you grow it. But the the uh, the appetite for legislation on the House side is huge. On the Senate side, I'm hearing it's not. I'm hearing that uh, uh, people, uh, Sherrod Brown, others, are really uh, putting up roadblocks. Uh, and perhaps that's because they're too close to Liz Warren, right? I, I don't know the answer to that question, but this, in fact, just came up within the last week, that while there's an appetite in the House to... Uh, Perhaps uh, talk about stable coins again. There is definitely going to be a move to pass markup and pass the uh, uh, the uh, federal ban on central bank digital currencies. Patrick McHenry told me uh, that he thought that was a no brainer. Uh, we've got bills like the Block Blockchain Regulatory Certainty Act, uh, which confirms that uh, uh, blockchain entities that never custody consumer funds are not money transmitters. And it may sound very simple to some of your listeners, but the thing you have to understand is this affects miners, this affects all software developers in, in uh, every state requires a money, transmis money transmitter license. It's just another obstacle that's unnecessary and frankly uh, uh, not related to uh, the work that's being done. Uh, we've got the Securities Clarity Act, which I think I've offered now three Congresses in a row that provides a framework for the SEC and token issuers to easily determine when a token is offered as part of a securities contract. And by the way, when it's not, 
The biggest issue, and I can go through all of the stuff we've put in, but I've been talking about this for almost seven years now. The biggest issue is we have to figure out how to define currency, how to define commodity, and how to define security. That's not going to be perfect, but Congress needs to put those uh, those guardrails in place, those frameworks in place, and we need to do it quickly because we're losing out on this innovation by not, you know, entrepreneurs want three things, right? They want clarity, they want consistency, and they want certainty. They want three things, and Congress has an obligation to provide it. I'm telling you, the House has an appetite to do this. I think McHenry told me this will be coming, uh, I believe, it, and I'm kind of waving at Lizzie back here because she's on the staff level always talking to his staff. But my understanding is after we come back from the uh, Easter uh, break that uh, there's going to be more movement in the House Financial Services Committee, barring more surprises from the central banks, uh, right, from the central banking system. God forbid, hopefully that's stabilized. But uh, assuming we are on a normal track, uh, Ryan, look for more of that uh, come uh, April and May. Well, we are counting on our legislative branch of Representative Emmer. Uh, it feels like other jurisdictions are even getting ahead. Uh, Europe has gotten their th stuff together with the Mika legislation. So now America is in a place where it catches up. So we're counting on you guys. Let me let me close with this question of Representative Emmer. So I don't think crypto has ever been a major election issue in sort of a presidential uh, election, but. Uh, in the next, you know, uh, year or so, we're going to have another one of those. Do you think crypto will have a role to play in the 2024 election cycle? And if yes, how do we get our voices heard? I think you guys, uh, you guys are going to determine whether you play a role, right? Uh, you can either uh, complain about uh, all the, the ridiculous things that are happening, or you can uh, stand up and do something about it. The way you do that and this is for everybody who's listening. One, uh, find a candidate, uh, city, state, uh, you know, I, local is where I'm going, federal. I think the federal is probably going to be the most important, although your states are all starting to get into this area as well. Uh, second, don't uh, volunteer. So you find a candidate that you like, support them financially, help them get their stuff out. Volunteer. You know, they, they used to tell us when I, I went to church, time, talent, and treasure, right? Give them your time. If you got a special talent, you guys build websites, that sort of thing. You know how to do direct advertising, all the rest, uh, and your treasure. Uh, the other thing that I don't want any of you to miss, because we need more of you, run for office. <laughs> Go in, put your name on a ballot. You want to make it an issue, make it an issue. The issue that most people are concerned about in this country right now is the economy and their future. Yes, they're worried about their safety in their community. They're worried about the uh, you know potential conflicts with China. They're worried about Ukraine. They're worried about all kinds of things around the globe. But first and foremost, it starts with their, uh, their perception of our economic future, and it's bleak. The brightest light in that economic future, in my mind, is you guys. And we need to make it clear, uh, and maybe you can change some, uh, some minds. I don't think you're gonna change hearts, I had uh, a, uh, someone that's very senior in our federal government tell me the other day that uh, I think of uh, crypto as wampum. And then he went through this thing where, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, I don't I don't believe in it, et cetera. And he finished the statement by saying, and, you know, we've had gold for, uh, you know, thousands of years. But that we've all agreed that that's uh, whatever it is. Well, <laughs> OK, that's wampum. 
right? I mean, this is uh, we're talking about virtual gold, and you guys are going to have to drag. You're going to have to drag the uh, the older generation that is putting roadblocks up in front of you. You're going to have to drag them across the finish line for their own good and for the good uh, of our future here in the United States of America. So time, treasure, talent, and don't be afraid to run for office. Well, there you go. Representative Emmer, it's uh, been a pleasure. Uh, Please keep fighting in uh, D.C. for these issues. They're very important for us, too. And uh, we'll do our part with the time, talent and treasure as well, especially. I hope that you heard Emmer's uh, statement to you. Like we got a lot of younger listeners here that I think needed to hear that today. So I I appreciate you and I appreciate the time you're putting forward on these issues. I appreciate you guys. Bankless is great. You got to get the message out every day. You guys are doing it. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, Risks and disclaimers, guys. Got to let you know, none of this has been financial advice. It wasn't even political advice. At least I don't think so. Uh, Crypto is risky, but so is the existing banking system. You could lose what you put in. We are headed west, though. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. 